Yo, what's up everyone? My name is Drew Joyner. Some of you may know me as Drew What I Do on YouTube, and I am the host of season two of the Beyond the Garment podcast, a podcast dedicated to enriching the lives of others, where each week I invite a brand new guest on the show within the realm of fashion, culture, and or art to talk about their life and their experiences. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to come listen to this podcast. It means a ton to me. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? Before we start today's episode, we're doing something a little bit different for season two. At the beginning of each episode in season two, I'm going to come on, tell you guys a little bit about what the guests we're going to have on for the episode today. And then at the end of the episode, I'll talk to you guys about what I got out of the episode. And hopefully, if you're really an active listener, you can recount some of the things that happened in the episode and really get the most value as you possibly can out of this podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, as always, I encourage you to leave a review so that we can reach more listeners. And today's episode actually features one of the biggest named and most famous guests we've ever had on the show, Matt Halfhill, the founder and creator of Nice Kicks, which if you don't know Nice Kicks, um, Nice Kicks is a multi, basically a multimedia sneakers, uh, sports, and content creation company that basically talks and and delves in the world of sneakers 24 7 man matt is a fantastic guest he's such a such an interesting guy let's roll the live intro for this episode and let's get into it today we have one of the major figureheads to both sneakers and sneaker culture in the modern era matt halfhill founded the business nice kicks in 2006 and ever since has developed this business into the upper echelon of reputable sneaker fashion and media centric businesses Um, i'm so excited to kick off season two of the podcast with this man mr nice kicks himself is what i'm deeming him (laughs) matt how are you doing today man I, I am great. Thank you for that intro. I am I love the Mr. Nice Kicks name. I'm gonna keep, keep roll with that a few in the future. Yeah, man. I was gonna ask you before we started. Did, do people ever call you Mr. Nice Kicks? Because I just it literally just popped in my head. I don't know. I mean, I think I think they, some people have said it. I, I know a lot of people have said like Matt Nice Kicks for a while. I, I think that was like my Facebook name initially. Yeah, so yeah. maybe yeah, that that stuck for a while. <laughs> well, I like Mr. Nice Kicks. It has a nice little ring to it. Maybe you know we're in a new new decade, 2020. Obviously, things have been a little bit crazy in the new decade, but. I just deemed you your new nickname. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Actually, as you said it, it reminds me, uh, Greg Grovey, who was one of the first like four employees at Nice Kicks and now owner of Kicking at ATX, a sneaker shop in Austin. Yeah. He actually created a MySpace name for us. No, it was either MySpace or Facebook, and he named it as Mr. Nice Kicks. Uh. First name Mr., last name <laughs> Nice Kicks, so sweet stuff that man. just popped in my head just now. sweet stuff so it's already it's already taken i mean it's it is, what nah, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well matt i'm super excited to have you on the podcast um for those who don't know who you are um can you give us a little bit of a background you know what is your background where are you from and, and what was it like for you growing up as a kid yeah for sure so uh, my name is matt halfhill um i was born and primarily raised in um fresno california where i lived for the first 15 years of my life um but i also spent time during my high school years in the caribbean in Mm. uh, grenada in the west indies and then i 
uh, high school area of BC. Um, wow. So I went for my four years of school. I did across three countries. Jeez. Yeah. So that was um, that had a then that had a major impact on me um, and a major impact on Nice Kicks. Yeah. Um, or what would future like inspire Nice Become Kicks? Become Nice Kicks. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my background was I was you know I don't know like my growing up I wasn't too too into shoes until like middle school time. Yeah. Um, my I primarily lived on a fifty dollar limit um for shoes like a couple times a year uh, i even remember a few times i had to buy shoes like a, a whole size or a size and a half large because you know you got to make those things last um so big shoe like you know nice shoes was not a thing for, for me growing up <laughs> i distinctly remember the reebok answer ones was the first pair of shoes i ever got from a mall wow um, and that came at the end of eighth grade and that was like the first shoe i just absolutely had to have wow so were you a big fan of alan iverson then you know, I was a fan of Alan. I, I definitely was a fan of AI. Um, I was a fan of actually um, the non-Jordan shoes of that time. Um, you know, everybody like would love Jordan. Of course, I, as a kid in the 90s, like I loved Michael Jordan as well, but 150 was just not a possibility of consideration. Yeah, this is like, come on now, really. Um, so, but the Kobe, the, the Adidas KB8 was $100. Um, and I was able to get these answer ones for 85. So I was able to do, use my salesmanship to get that shoe um, at that time. And I even think, yeah, it was in ninth grade, I got my second signature shoe, um, the, the KB8 two um, for $50 at Just for Feet. Um, so yeah, like big, big, like expensive shoes was just not a thing for me growing up. I love how the fact that you were able to, you know, find the shoes that you wanted for great prices from early, from early age, from a starting point. Because a lot of times, and obviously the culture has changed a ton nowadays, but the ability to find good sneakers at a deal is always some of the most exciting kind of things that you can go through, right? You know, it it, it doesn't stop at sneakers for me. I mean, I'm I, this mouse I paid $10 for at Goodwill <laughs> yesterday. It's an $80 mouse. Uh, the big 24-inch monitor behind me that sells for $300, I paid $65 at Goodwill. Um, the the brush guard I just bought for my truck, I paid $150 for. That's yeah. $800 new. Um, and the mid-century modern table, uh, my girlfriend and I bought for $175, bucks and it came with six chairs. Jeez. So the deal hunting hat does not start and end with sneakers. yeah so it's it's a whole full-blown i mean beyond personality trait it's kind of in your marrow a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah it <laughs> it's is. just who you are which is actually really cool it's just, yeah it's just who i am it's just who i am totally totally let's let's peel back the onion a little bit on kind of your upbringing a little bit more this is actually really really interesting so you kind of have three different locations that you uh grew up in and experienced um, I can't remember all three of them, but let's start at the beginning. Talk to me about what it was like being a kid, you know, and, and growing up and things that you did. Were you into sports? Were you did you have siblings? Those kind of things. So I have one younger brother, uh, Mark, um, who him and I were both really active into the shoe forms back in the day. Yeah. Um, but growing up, it was cool because we were only a year and a half apart in age. Um, so we were on the same sports teams like every other year. Oh, they do the groupings like every under eight, under 10, under 12. So like every other year we we're on the same team, which was really awesome. Um, I definitely was into sports. Um, I loved soccer as a kid. I loved baseball as a kid. Yeah. Um, and I also played water polo in high school. Mm. Um, so those were like my, those were my primary sports. Um, 
growing up in Fresno, Fresno at the time, it was, you know, it still is a smaller town. Um, there were not a lot of things growing up in Fresno at that time. We had just barely crossed maybe 250,000 or 300,000 people of population. Yeah, so just, there weren't a lot of things there. Um, but Jerry Tarkanian coming to Fresno state was a huge deal because it really brought like the football team had been making a lot of noise, but when Jerry Tarkanian came, um, that put the basketball program on the national map. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Just overnight. Um, so it was cool already. Like, you know, so there were like two sports and then also to the, the baseball team had went to the college world series in 92 mm. uh, softball team won it all in 98. Um, so it, it was really a great time to be um, living in Fresno and a fan of Fresno state sports. Um, both my parents were professors at Fresno state. So I was, you know, the joke I say is like, I was breastfed in the parking lot. Like literally <laughs> I was always there. Um, you know, like I, I was, I grew up at that campus, um, in, in so many ways. Yeah. And it really was a really big part of my upbringing. Right. Totally, totally, totally. I love it, man. And I love the fact that you have that kind of history there too, in, in the way in which, because, not a lot of people um, can say that they live through something special within their city. And I know for me, like we've had some things, obviously the World Series was just here in Denver. And so we've had some really special athletes come across, you know, our courts, fields, et cetera, et cetera. But it's always really fun to be in that moment when you have really special talent in a city from an athletic yeah. standpoint, right? I mean, we're not even talking about sneakers. Here. It's just about, it's just fun. You know what I mean? Especially when, you know, if you're, if you live in the UK or in, in your team you know obviously soccer and, and all the different sports venues all the things that are going on it's really amazing to have special talent from an athletic entertainment standpoint so that's super cool um yeah for sure talk to me a little bit about what's the beginning story of nice cakes this is a so, meat and potatoes i'm super excited about this no nah, no problem yeah so i really started uh, my first job kind of led into nice cakes um so my first job was working at athletes world which was a mall-based uh retail chain in canada mm. um and i worked as a commission sales guy there eight employee 8517 um and i um started buying shoes that were on clearance and then selling them on ebay um, and it all came about because I'd done I'd, I'd done that with like musical instruments. My boss had heard about it, asked if I could start buying and selling his clearance items. Mm. I'm like, sure, I'll give it a try. Yeah. Uh, I did quite well. So I wanted to transition over to a website um, off of eBay. Um, so um, right before I finished high school, I, I you know, gave my mom eight bucks to use her credit card so I could buy nicekicks.com, the domain name. Yep. Um, and just and I built the website that summer. Um Flash, flash forward a couple of years later. Um, so I started buying and selling e-commerce wise in the early days, but then I went to blog and that's really where I think like, for me, that's, there was like a, a new beginning, new birth, really the era that most people know nice kicks as is, is in 06. And I started really let's see, December of 2005. I started building a WordPress site mm. um, on another domain. And then it, I went live fully in April of 06. And it was just a blog about shoes. Hmm. And that was what I wanted I, at the time. Like I had actually lived um, only a couple of miles from Kevin Ma uh, oh, wow. of hype beast. Um, uh, uh, in, in, like we didn't know it at, at the time. Um, but the summer of 05 is when I first discovered hype beast. That's when, and I didn't know he lived like right down the, the road from me right. um, in Vancouver. But um, that I, I loved his site. I loved David Fisher's site, um, High Snobiety, which I think was still highsnobiety.blogspot.com. Mm. Um, 
but I wanted to do something that was just sneakers. I didn't really want to go into streetwear like that. Just wasn't, that wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I wanted to go deeper into storytelling around the shoes that were, you know, of interest to people, not just into the, into the hype scene. Yeah. Um, so I thought like, well, look, if there's, if there's a website about the culture and around streetwear and, and a little bit of sneakers, there should probably be one just about sneakers only. Yeah. Um, so that's, that was the idea for it. Um, and yeah, we launched April of 06 and I can't believe it's been, we just like passed the 15 year mark um, this year. I, yeah. So I've uh, been going quite, quite a while at it. Um, and it's, it's all kind of been a blur really, really? In, in a lot of ways. Like, it, I mean, it's 15 years. It's just flashback. Yeah. Really. The hardest question I'm going to try to ask you is, you know, what is, what is it feel like to to build something you know starting with you know just a simple website that you initially started with to the entire you know global business that you're currently you know running i mean it's just kind of hard to like 15 years is a super long time but it's kind of hard for any person to really think about it like that how do how do you think about it i mean it's i just i just did an interview recently about this about the importance of needing to take a step back take you take a look back and take inventory of what you've done because mm-hmm. i have not done that enough in my life yeah. i will admit that um it's incredible like it really it, like i am speechless at times when i look at it mm-hmm. um i it, it really hit me when i was in china and somebody had mentioned to a group of kids like that Oh, that's so, that's the guy who started Nice Kicks, and you know the, he tells the kids in in Mandarin, and their their faces just like light up, their yeah. mouths drop, and then one of them grabs their phone and holds it up to me to show me that they're following us on Instagram, and I'm and which you know they're using a VPN to do this, right? And I'm like, and it just like in that moment it hit me. I'm like, holy crap! Like I'm around the globe right now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and kids on the street just boom hold up their phone like yeah i follow you i mean you guys have 4.3 million on instagram that is a country's worth of people to you know to be to be you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah no i mean it is it is wild it is wild and and the thing that that, that's sometimes the numbers it's hard to imagine because i don't know like I've been so often we're so busy with what we do. I'm looking at the 4.3 million and I'm thinking to myself, like, that's awesome. But only 1.5 million have engaged with us in the past seven days. How do I get that to 1.8? Right, right. You know, like it, yeah. it's so easy to get just stuck in this and then not think to myself, like, wait a second, yeah. 1.5 million people is greater than the entire metro area of Austin. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and it's like, it, yeah. So it's, it's, it's so easy to sometimes forget the magnitude of the reach of, yeah. of these cakes for sure. Definitely. Definitely. And I think, you know, I'll even give you a personal kind of story for me. Um, Matt, I grew up playing basketball and I tell this story often on the, uh, on the podcast. And so sneakers and kind of like how you like the answers, I was into Kobe's and LeBron's and, you know, 2010s and things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are super, super like, you know, golden era. Yeah, exactly. 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 You know, growing up in a golden era, love those kind of shoes. And then as I've kind of developed and gone through college, high school, um, you know, you kind of look for just different media sources, media outlets to help you navigate because there's 
a billion and one sneaker drops it seems like all the time right and so you know nice kicks has always been kind of a really nice north star which is it's kind of full circle in an interesting way a really nice north star for me you know someone who's always had an affinity for sneakers you know some of the collaborations you guys have done and some of the some of the footwear that you guys have had is is it's just I sometimes have to pinch myself because I'm talking to Mr. Nice Kicks right now, but um, it's it's really really cool to hear you talk about just how even for yourself, like you can't believe it. Like you're a human being, you go through the same emotions that anyone would go through. Like who's built a huge business over the course of the last 15 years? It just is really really cool. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I I mean I'm no different from any other consumer like at the end of the day i'm just a guy who started a website about shoes i like shoes just like everybody else i buy shoes like everybody else like um and i you know i i i don't think i'll ever let that go i i really do i really actually just i don't really want the special privileges or or things that could come with it mm-hmm. because I don't want to ever lose touch of who I am or what my place is in this. Mm-hmm. Cause at the end of the day, I'm only doing this because I really liked shoes and I liked the community I got to meet because of it. Mm-hmm. And if all of a sudden I start to try to use what I've done or my team has done to put me in a position different than how I entered is the, that I feel like is the moment where I, when I will lose touch with, what I love so much yeah. and what I enjoy so much yep. about what I do. Totally. So, totally. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. I, w- I really want to ask you a couple of questions. There's someone who's listening to this podcast. I already know someone's listening to this podcast right now who maybe has a similar aspiration as what you've been able to do. Obviously you didn't do it by yourself. No one does mm-hmm. it by themselves. Um, all the things that even I've been able to do with this podcast, I've had great people around me, the ability to um, just be creative and navigate through the world. Like you have to have great people around you. Talk to me a little bit about um, the the team building aspect of Nice Kicks, finding good people. Because without good people, it doesn't really scale to the level of where it needs to be. Correct? Or how would you how would you discuss this? I, I absolutely. Um, I think through time, like you know, it, nobody who's had fifteen years of experience or fifteen year journey is going to be batting a thousand. I've had just as many mistakes as I've had wins, mm. and the best thing you can learn the best thing you can do is learn from them and analyze what went wrong or what could have been done differently. Um, but one thing that I actually was just speaking with um, Gabe Ocean on my team about today um, was the importance of finding people who just have the raw passion because skill, hiring and building a team solely around skills and ability um that might help a team when you're on the bubble and you need to get in the playoffs, but that's not going to necessarily be something you can build a franchise around Mm. getting the skill and the talent and the missing piece that, you know, can manifest itself in the way it performs is a very short term gain for a business. The key to building out, a franchise and the the key to building out an organization is is aligning on principles and passion is something that's extremely important because skills and abilities can be developed passion can't yeah. you either have it or you don't truly and you can develop that passion but you're going to develop that passion on your own through your own self development outside and so for us we are I'm I now I really really look for 
who's aligning with us on principle and who's aligning with us on passion, because those two things are very unlikely to, to shift too much. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I, I think I've found. Totally. Years. Totally. Totally. I love that. And I think that for any young, you know, creative business creator, entrepreneur, I think that's a great, great point. You have to be able to navigate, you know, who really wants to be here and who's, who's doing it for some, maybe some vanity purposes or who, who wants to do it for just monetary purposes. And I, I think there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong. You know, you can do things for monetary purposes. Everyone does things for monetary purposes from mm-hmm. time to time. But w- when we're talking about, you know, nice kicks, Matt Halfhill, we're talking about some of the best in the world, the highest performers. And so you have to have a deep passion for it. Just like I, lo- I love how you use sports analogies because, you know, in order to be at the level of a professional athlete, you know, you can ha- really, yeah, you can be very talented, but a, a lot of the even ultra talented guys, it only takes them so far. They have to have the drive and determination to, you know, put the time in to, to overcome, you know, doubt in their mind, overcome naysayers, overcome all these other factors to really reach, you know, upper echelon greatness. As like I mentioned in today's intro. So really cool. Mm-hmm. What else, man? I, I There's something else I want to try to dig out of you. Like what, what other factors do you think has helped you just in 15 years, can you point to anything else? You know, is it just been being consistent over the time? You know, you said you made mistakes. You said that mm-hmm. it wasn't, the, you know, perfect. You weren't batting a thousand. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, what were some of the mistakes you made and some of the things that, you know, were big mistakes that you never want to make again and you learned from them and or maybe some things that you should have done earlier? Like, mm-hmm. give us that kind of insight if it's possible. Um, so I think some of my biggest mistakes um, – I'll start with most recent and, and go backwards. Sure. Um, one of the biggest changes in my life came from actually taking my health seriously. Mm. Um, I weighed about 140 pounds heavier than I do now. Um, you look great. Just a couple years ago. Thank you. Um, I let a lot of things slide during that time too. And I think getting healthy and that the the process of living in the health it's not about the result it really is about the 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 process that I, that you you just fall in love with and you live with mm-hmm. um that brings about a lot of things for a business owner that they'll that they might not see like the idea of of prioritizing and making sure that um you know your nutrition and what you put in your body is is such a you know priority of things like um and having non-negotiables, like I'm not going to do this if it risks in this workout, or I'm not going to do this yeah. call at this time. If you know, it means this, yeah. you know, or I'm not going to spring for that thing. I I'm drinking water instead. Like there, you actually learn to be more um, direct and deliberate yeah. about a lot of things in life. Um, and then you can, you'll start as you develop that habit with, your diet and your activity level and your outside activities, um, being that deliberate and direct works really well with business and with relationships. So I think that was like the biggest change. And I would say that that was a big fail of mine was not taking care of my health for so many years. Um, other, other mistakes I've made, I would say probably, I would say putting too much trust in others that they're going to see the long-term benefit of a relationship Mm. and see the full potential and not think about it as though 
people are going to do what is within their line of priorities. I think that I've had some business arrangements where people did what they were going to do and they weren't doing anything wrong. They were just doing things according to what was a priority for them and understanding and trying to get a better grasp of what, you know, what people might be after when they're working with you and you being honest with yourself about what you want from it. Um, and also just, you have to know, like, not everybody's going to do the right thing. Even if they see it, what's in front of them, they might not, they might not know that. And based on their level of priorities, that might not be what they want. So totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I love that. And I think all of us, just have to continue to persist as well like even when those when because there there's going to be times when things just f up things are not going to go according to plan 100 percent of the time and so you have to be able to adapt and um, you have to be able to bounce back you know as tough as it is it's easier said than done right i mean we're talking about it it makes it quite easy but you got to be able to kind of uh, make adjustments to to different people's personalities and and what they do yeah, and you have to be ready to pivot. Yep. I don't think people, you know, a lot of people don't realize the number of different, you know, streams of revenue we've had as a company in 15 years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is it is unbelievable the numbers of ways we have generated revenue as a company. I mean, it start when we started, it was what Google ads, yeah. people clicking on banners. That was how we started. That grew into having that plus a, you know, supplemental of of like affiliate campaigns mm. and then having banner media sold by complex, having banner media sold by another group mm. named Wove digital now known as uprocks, having banner media represented and, and socials uh, sold by hype beast um, to going independent and selling it directly ourselves, yep. you know, working with brands and retailers where we kind of work as a creative agency, creating stuff for them. Like, I mean, we, we, and like, it's wild when I think back of all the different ways our company has changed. And I think something that's really important is that to not be so married to the plan, but be ready to adjust if you, if you need to. Yeah. I love that. I'm learning that myself right now. So I have a little business that I started last year and there's a lot of things that I've had to adjust to, whether it be, um, we, we, our focus is to be as sustainable as possible and finding manufacturers at times can be tough and finding different streams of revenue also is tough. That's why we, we have the podcast mm -hmm. to help monetize that as well. And, and I started a personal YouTube channel to help document and monetize that. And so that's where we're at right now. And I can totally see how in 15 years, just everything changes, technology changes, audiences oh, yeah. change, um, you know, you know, whatever the leading marketing tactic was in 2008 is not the same in 2021. There's just no way. No. <laughs> so, no. um, you know, and so you have to take those things into account when they come up, right? Obviously you have to be able to make adjustments in real time, right? We can't predict. I mean, maybe Matt Hatfield will be doing a VR and everybody else is in the audience, like a, a <laughs> VR podcast. Everyone's just sitting in on, on the auditorium. You never know. But if that comes, you have to be able to kind of you know, tuck your ego and your pride and maybe a little bit of fear away and, and, and do it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's, it's, it really is. And I think that that mentality we had as a group really paid off for us during the pandemic. Mm. You know, we, we had the most incredible change in our business. Like in year 15, we had our best one ever. Wow. We had just an incredible turn when the world kind of, took a different turn with the pandemic and everything shut down. Yeah. Um, 
that was our time to reflect and analyze what are we the best at? Yeah. What are we really good at? Yeah. And what do we do exceptionally well mm-hmm. that people are not getting elsewhere? And how and let's do more and more and more of that. Mm. So rather than being a business where we had our hands in, you know, so many different things where we were doing a 70% job, it's like, well, what can we do a hundred percent at? Yeah. Yeah. Start with those. And as we did that, we saw we found our voice on social where that we really was ours. And we developed that Mm. and we took that, we brought that to Twitter. We saw other, we had other experiments that started in as late as June that have now quickly become like our number two revenue stream as a a company and profitability. Um, So like being ready to, to make change was extremely important for us Mm. um, Mm. last year. I love that. And yeah. So I think it's always good to kind of be, never be, so married in tunnel vision to one thing or two things be open to making shifts totally totally i want one of the questions i want to ask you matt as well is about um some of the noteworthy collaborations like i said i'm I'm pretty much in the sneakers and um i love sneakers whether it be from you know right now i'm currently in love with a lot of what new balance is doing i've loved mm-hmm. what adidas has done in the past with you know the ultra boost i know you guys had a, a woodstock ultra boost collaboration how do things like that come about because um that is really really fun in my opinion like to see from the outside and see those kind of projects come to life being someone who's kind of hopefully internally you know helping facilitate those kind of cl- partnerships what is it like being a part of those teams and making some of those decisions so the collaborations i'm glad you had a question about that so early on like i think one of my ultimate dreams was to do a collaboration when i first started um i in fact was rejected on my first um collaboration uh proposal it was uh with greedy genius on phantom in december of 06 um, I, you know, got turned down by them on a collaboration, but I didn't give up. Um, Thanks. it was only a couple of years later, I think early 08 or late 07, um, Ronnie and I had developed a relationship, Ronnie Feig, mm. um, had developed a relationship actually dating back to December 06. That's when I first met him. Mm. Um, and we did a, a gel light three. That was our first project. And when I worked on that project, I absolutely fell in love with collaborations like I never thought imaginable. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to do more of them. <laughs> I really did. But even still at that time, this is still 08, like brands still did not take a blog seriously mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. They just didn't know what social or like what media was in, on the, in the digital space. Like if you weren't a print publication, didn't have a TV show or a radio program, you weren't real to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I actually opened the retail store that some brands were like, Oh, so this website really is a big deal. Like it actually is a, a thing. And it's like, oh wow, I had to open a, you know, a thousand square foot store in a third tier market for you to believe <laughs> what I was saying about web being real. Okay. All right. Uh, um, you know, like it, so that was kind of kind of funny. But like one of the one of the, like, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to open that retail store is I knew that was gonna be required to be able to do collaborations. Yep, that's what I've heard. Yep. So that was one of the big, like in the pro and con list, why I want to go offline. That was a big reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one, the second collaboration we did with uh, ASICS was with Ronnie and David, and he went through David Z at the time. He just right before he moved to Kith, or he opened Kith. 
Um, third, I'm trying to think what our third one was, but we had it, right after we opened, we had that one. We had a, um, let's see, we did our first Adidas collaboration which was the Campus 80, mm-hmm. uh, where we did a Longhorn Cattle uh, inspired um, um, a Campus 80 with like super long suede. suede. We actually had, yeah, suede. Mm-hmm. We had branding irons where you could where we could brand the shoe like however you wanted. Oh wow! Um, actually, Greg Grovey, I mentioned him earlier. He actually, him and I like branded every single pair. That's love. Um, yeah. So like when you came to the shop and you got to, or, and you came and bought them in person, like the only way you could get a branded pair is if you bought them in the store. Yeah. That's so cool. And so we had, yeah. And I actually just tossed those branding irons like a couple months ago. I had them, I had kept on, held them on, held onto them forever. Um, but yeah, we branded them and we had three different branding irons. You got to choose where they were placed and how we would brand them. Um, and we did, let's see, our new first new balance 1500 was, Shortly thereafter, yeah. we had uh, Vans Dual Pack, which was the era in Skate High. Mm-hmm. Uh, Classics. Yeah, 574 My Oh Mys. It was like a Mariner's colorway. Um, and then a 1600 uh, New Balance Grand Ans, mm-hmm. which was the color of that was inspired by my time in uh, Grenada. So cool. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we had, had a few projects there and it was, it was fun working with the brands on all those. Oh man. I can only imagine well, probably another like pinch me moment, all those collaborations. Right. Or was it just like, Oh, I'm, I'm ready to get to work. Let's, let's get this done. Let's do the best we possibly can. You know, it, so I, I look back at it and I actually went through my email box from my different brand reps and I probably got some of them were probably really annoyed with me because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to just do a collaboration for the sake of doing it. Yeah. I didn't just want to push stuff out. There's famous, there's that line from toy story two, I believe it is. And he's like, the guy says, you can't rush art. Yeah. Um, and this is when he's like fixing up Woody. And that's how I felt about collaborations. You can't just put them on a schedule and make them happen mm-hmm. unless it's just going to be like some whatever story. And so like every single one was very intentional um, that we did. Yeah. Um, there was, there was a, there, there had to be a reason we were doing it. Um, so the, the new balance 1600 was really like the last one I worked on end to end. You know, I picked out every single material panel for that color, everything even went down to Grenada to, to do the photo shoot as well as debut the shoe. I went on to the, um, the national news, like morning show to debut the shoe Jeez. in Grenada. Um, all of this without New Balance approval, by the way. <laughs> I'm doing this, um, and uh, yeah, so that was. That, but I, I mean, I do miss doing the collaborations. Um, so not long, like a couple of months after um, the the release of the 1600, we'd actually sold the retail side of the business mm. um, to another group, um, and with that sale, um, you know, that was kind of the end of me doing projects directly on um with that um but i've been working on other things um and there have been a few of my pieces that have come out they don't have my name on them people don't know oh, wow. it's kind of fun that way so um but yeah that was my last project that was a nice nice kicks branded um collaboration very cool do you have anything in the works maybe with footwear again or is it mostly clothing focused or what is, what are some of the things that you if you don't want there, to there are things out there are things coming they just don't have my name on them Fair enough. cool they'll be coming, cool yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Talk to me. That's a perfect segue, actually. But talk to me about some of the brands, whether it be footwear or sneakers. Talk, talk to me about some of the things that you're kind of like consuming and that you're into right now. I mean, so health and fitness is an extremely big part of my life now. 
Um, so I have, you know, like, I think the Nike Metcon line has become something I wear almost every single day yeah, because line. that's, that's my gym shoe, you know, period. Um, other things that I'm really into is outdoor stuff. I, my, I just came back from Colorado, um, was just in Denver back weekends. Um, so girlfriend and I went up to Keystone, um, two weeks ago. Um, my brother has a place up there. So we were up in Keystone and, uh, then I took my kids, uh, last weekend up there. And again, we of course went to Keystone. Um, they're not as big as on hiking as, as my girlfriend and I are. Um, but (laughs) the, I, I really love being outdoors. Um, you know, we, we talk so often or this, this business footwear and sports, they celebrate the like once in a generation type of athletes so much. Mm-hmm. And I look as I hike around these mountain places, these scapes, and I'm like, these are these, these mountains are once in like a couple million years. Yeah. yeah. Athletes. If you want to get right down to it, it takes millions of years for these athletes or the, for these mountains to come yeah, by. To develop. I think conquering some of these is just as much of a, of a thing as you know somebody who can do a really good done yeah totally i so. i uh most people don't know this but i've done a couple 14ers here in colorado and so i was just saying that um i actually hiked a few 14ers i don't know have you done a 14er in colorado yet or no i have but it doesn't really count it's mount evans that does not count <laughs> <laughs> you drive all the way up there and then you just walk out the door no <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah mount- so we i I, to to my defense, I we did go. Let's see, um, the tunnel was like super shut down mm. on um, the weekend, so we took um, Highway Six, and I'm trying to remember the name, Loveland Pass. Mm. So I took the kids and I got up and we um, went up to the top of the um, of the mountain that's right there at Loveland Pass. I don't know. I think that one's get gets close to 13. Okay, uh, but I had a I had my uh, nine year old daughter on my back the, all the way up, Ooh. so I think that should count as as a that should count as a fourteen year. Um, Every time I yeah. see a dad or something like that carrying another person while hiking, I'm like, the amount of strength. Like I'm struggling myself just getting up, no oxygen. You know what I'm saying? Like it's tough. man, <laughs> the breathing is like I don't think people understand just what it's like, yeah. how deep you have to breathe oh. to to get the oxygen to be able to, to do that. Truly, yeah, truly, truly. I love it, man. I love it. So a lot of stuff in the fitness realm right now for you. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what are your thoughts on sneaker culture? I think a lot of people, how do I want to frame this? So a lot of people have mixed feelings on what sneaker culture is, what sneaker culture has become. A lot of mm-hmm. times with, you know, they're, they're talking about the Nike sneakers app or they're talking about just how different drops are done. They're talking about backdooring. Mm-hmm. They're talking about all these things within sneakers. Um, right. What is your kind of opinion on sneaker culture? I listed some negative things. There's obviously positive things like community and right. et cetera, et cetera. All the things that really are at the core of what sneaker culture is about. Right. But um, talk to me what you think about sneaker culture. So I think that there's been some there's been a few branding uh, moves that have happened. And I, I look, I, something I have learned, and this dates back to my love of George Orwell in 1984, is the power of words. And something that I remember at a time, and this dates back to 2013, um, the word sneakerhead started being used in mainstream media by something that weren't sneakerheads, mm. quite frankly. Mm. I remember the opening line and I, I love this guy, great friend, Darren Ravel, but his opening line he had on a piece, he said, this person, like whatever his name is a sneakerhead, and it show, and it follows him around and it introduced in a big way, 
to the mainstream what a sneakerhead was. And it followed a kid that was going to sneaker con buying and selling shoes. And then, and like, it was really, and it was crazy because the impact of that piece, since that was like one of the first ones, sneakerheads were often referred to or shown in media as people who were buying and selling shoes. Mm. And I'm like, that's not what a sneakerhead is. Mm. And, you know, I'm not gatekeeping here. I'm not saying like, I'm the one to say what a sneakerhead is, but like, I remember we pushed, we used the term when we, when we like, um, what's it called? We're explaining what nice kicks was to a lot of people in the beginning. There was a term that was used before called a shoe collector. Mm. And we did not want to be, we did not want to go down that road. We saw soul collector and shoe as the, as the shoe collector website, the idea of people who put shoes on a table, they have a display, they have a collection like you would stamps, baseball cards, other things the like where people are buying and selling and trading collections. Mm -hmm. We always identified and adopted the phrase sneaker head as like the name suggests, like sneakers are on your brain that you are thinking about shoes throughout the t- all, you know, all different times and the, that they are something that are top of mind for mm-hmm. you. So when it, when it, I think that there was a lot that happened there in the mid two thousands, when there was this big rise of buying and selling shoes and people saw like, Oh, there's money to be made in this. And they were referring to the group as sneaker heads. I think it started to change the narrative of what the community thought they were supposed to be Mm. or what it was all about. Mm. Um, Too much of things right now, there's way too much emphasis on the buying and selling in the secondary market and the resale of shoes. Mm. Um, I think as evident of that is we just recently did a poll on nice kicks where instead of us like throwing out there, what we thought were the best shoes of the year so far, we let the people speak. We let, we created a bracket. We had all these different shoes on there and people have voted and it looks like the trophy room one is going to win as like the best shoe of the year. I saw that actually. And I was just like, I, I actually had to post something on my personal one when I saw um, the Amamanier um, three get dis, you know displaced by the uh, trophy room. I'm like, whoa, whoa wait a second yeah. here. Like, wh- am I missing something? <laughs> and I started to think about it more and more and more. And I started looking at the re- polling results of a lot of the other shoes. And in many instances, it was what shoe resells for more is what got more votes. Yep. And I'm like, oh, hold on a second here. Wait a second. I don't, I can't think of a Jordan shoe or a collab project that has had a better story than that Jordan three. Mm-hmm. I cannot think of one in recent mm-hmm. years. Not only was the story fantastic, the shoe was phenomenal. Chef, the materials, unbelievable. Chef's kiss, beautiful. I mean, chef's kiss, right? But then on top of all of that, James Whitner and his team did without question one of the best releases of a shoe that we've ever seen. Truly. And you con- and you contrast that. And this is no- nothing against Marcus and Trophy Room, yeah. but it's no secret that release did not go the way that I think a lot of people thought would be to be fair. fair. Yep. I don't think a lot of people thought that it was handled properly. Mm. And if you ask people about Trophy Room and the Trophy Room 1, I bet you 
probably 99 out of 100 people are going to talk about the release and the resale price and the blue laces and not about the actual story behind the shoe. Yeah. So if the if everything else that happened with that release drowns out the actual story behind the product, that tells me like there's there's something amiss here. Oh. And for that to this, you know, to to you know, to throw in the Amal Manier Jordan Three, that ah oh man, yeah, that was a frustrating. Those one. two sneakers, you know, are two sneakers that have a lot of attention around them, and for those people who obviously like like matt said we're not telling you that you shouldn't like the the trophy rooms or you you should like no. one or the other right but you, you have to take a step back and and kind of just look at it f- for all of the elements of culture of sneakers right yeah, sneakers for me at least i'll tell you guys what, what i think you know makes something a fantastic release as well as you know, Matt hit on hit it on the head. It has to have great storytelling. It has to, right? It has to be meaningful in some way. Like it can't just be Fugazi or, you know, come out of nothing. Not the brand Fugazi because that's something different. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Fugazi. <laughs> it can't just come out of nothing, essentially, right? So it has to have great storytelling. I, for one, appreciate you know the the art that's involved in sneakers. It's very like for me, like it's so beautiful. Like to me. Like I, if I could sit and and look at a, a picture of the Mona Lisa or look at, uh, you know the the Amman Menier threes in a room, like I'd be looking at the Amman Meniers for a longer time, ex- inspecting the materials, looking at the shoe, doing all these things, because I, you know, that's that to me is like I love that, and it goes further than that because it's about the smell and all the different things that are involved with sneakers, right? So, um, that to me is much more important than the resale price and. And honestly, for me, I'll just speak candidly. It kind of turns me off a little bit when it, when something has so much hype around it, when it has so much attention to where kids um, and people only want it because it's recognizable. I mean, it kind of and I don't want to take say it takes away, but in a way, it takes away a little bit the art and the storytelling, like you're mentioning. You know, when it's all about the the resale price, when it's all about the the um, the cultural clout, essentially, right? So. I, I- I agree. I mean, it, it sucks, but like this, the, the high resale price is becoming new monogram on a shoe. Yeah. Really? Yep. It says it screams luxury. It screams. I paid a thousand for this. Yep. And that is similar to what an LV print once did. Yeah, totally. So. And people are buying it to show to people that they spent that on it. Yeah. And for me, I'm just not excited by that. Same. Uh, for me, it's the story Same. like that. That's really like, how that's why I do what I do is because of the story. Um, And so I'm going to be biased towards story. If you're, if the shoe doesn't have a, doesn't have a story to it, I'm not going to be excited about it. And that doesn't matter if it's like, if lifestyle performance signature, if there's not really a compelling story, I'm like, "Mm, why? True. Truly. So, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your kind of personal involvement within um, Instagram. One of the things that I feel like I've noticed, and I could be totally off by this, but you know, you're pretty well connected with some different individuals and in what I like to call like the Fitbit community. Do you know about Fitpics and, and these kind of things or no, no, no. what do you, no. no, okay, cool, cool. So what what I mean by that is, you know, I've I see, you know, I I follow you on Instagram and there's some cool people that you're connected with that I'm also connected with. And for those who don't know about Fitpics essentially is it's a 
um it's it's kind of similar to sneaker culture and, and sneakers in a, in a way in which people just love to talk and communicate and be a part of a community that is interested in different you know outfits right um obviously sneakers is a part of it because sneakers obviously everyone has either a pair of sneakers or maybe it's a boot or a loafer or something like that um but i you know it, it's always really cool because I know you follow some people. I can't remember the exact people right now, but I yeah. know you follow some people that are really interesting. In I think I so I now I now I get the idea of what you're talking about here. Yeah. Yes, no, I I definitely do follow quite a few fake accounts. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, yeah, definitely. What is that a conscious decision, or are you just following things that you enjoy, or just people that you kind of interested in, or connections, really? Um, people that yeah, I find that I enjoy. Um, you know, I often come across. Instagram pages and what often earns the follow is when I start to see something of interest to me and it's never one photo. It's a couple of them. Mm. It's there's, I can almost, it's almost like I can see a little bit of a story that's being woven between the posts and that's what catches my attention. Um, You know, I like stories. I like things that are deliberate. And when I can see that people have, put that level of thought and detail into what they put out there into what not just what they wear but how they present it Mm -hmm. i mean i think that's i think that's really inspiring i i like that and i and i've you know found that uh, several of those people are actually pretty interesting folks as well so that's that's what drew that's what's drawn me into quite a number of accounts cool i was just curious about that because i had seen you and that's really cool that's really really cool actually um, yeah, you know, I have a couple last couple questions I want to ask you, Matt. You've been a fantastic guest. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time. I know you have a super, super busy schedule, and I know just having you on the podcast will introduce a lot of new people to the podcast. So I just want to say thank you, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> no problem. And so, you know, what is one thing that someone would have never known about you if they hadn't tuned into this podcast? Ooh, something wouldn't know about me. Yeah. You know what? I don't think I've ever put this anywhere. So this will be your exclusive. <laughs> um, I think I've talked before my favorite sports to watch, like or favorite sports like baseball and as a child. And uh, I love watching hockey live. Oh, my God. I love hockey. Um, but my favorite sport to play is water polo. Oh, wow. Water polo. Yeah, that's my favorite sport to play. What is it required to play water? Like, do you, like how much skill level? Because I have never, I have no experience in water polo. I've swam mm-hmm. and did things like that when I was a kid and whatnot, you know, competitively. But water polo, like I've I've seen it at my university. But like, how do you get involved with water polo? Like, what is the starting point? Man, first thing is to get in touch with one of the clubs there, yeah. and you know, I go out to a practice and get ready to be humbled. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> crazy sport um i so i wasn't a swimmer before water polo in fact i had to learn there's a funny story about my um my high school coach um they needed pull they needed players for my team and i like went down you know there are a few cute girls on the girls team like (laughs) hey i'm gonna show up here um and uh the coach was like so happy when he saw me walk through the gates one day he's like hell yeah i got a big one like this is gonna be good and then i jump in the pool he's like oh my god he doesn't know how to swim um so (laughs) i had to learn how to i had to learn how to swim for my first season of water polo through through that um but it's something about it it's it's so it's primarily a vertical game um yes 
swimming matters a lot. Mm -hmm. Like knowing the different strokes is extremely important for getting separation and whatnot. Um, but it's 70, 75% vertical. Wow. So it's really much more of a leg and core game than it is a, you know, swimming, like traditional swimming, which is primarily, you know, upper body and, and core. Yeah. So. Very cool. Very cool. I'll definitely have to, my, my girlfriend, she swam and she, she loves swimming. So we've been, you know, hitting the pool every once in a while. So I'll definitely have to try to watch a couple of YouTube videos and learn my way into maybe a club or two and see, see what happens. Cause you never know. You never know. You sometimes a passion just stumbles upon you. You never know. Hey, absolutely. Sure does. Hey man. So the last question I want to ask you before we, you know, ask about social media and stuff like that. Um, you know, what is, what is one factor that you believe has led to your success at nice kicks, man, man, not giving up. Hmm. There would have there would have been so many times where I could have said this was this isn't what I came out for or this isn't worth it mm -hmm. and and gone a different way. Mm -hmm. um, I've had so many opportunities to quit and didn't take any of them, and I think that's that's why that's why I'm still here because I just won't. Um, there there like I've there have been a lot of times where things haven't gone my way for sure, um, but I knew that the ultimate way of, of prevailing, which is not to quit mm -hmm. and outlast. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's what, that, that that's a big reason of why I'm why I've had the success that I've had, or we've had the success as a team. Um, to me, this is not like a, at this point, I think it, it really hit me when I'd been like 10 years in the business. I'm like, there's no turning back now. Like yeah. you are not leaving this business. Um, and I think that that's, that's the reason why that I am, why we're here still and why we're pretty much always going to be. Um, this wasn't a stepping stone career wise. I d decided long ago, this is where I'm at and this is where I'm going to play um, is in footwear and in sports and technology. Um, so, yeah, I think really just making that commitment that nothing's going to kill me and, and choosing that way, the the thought or the the, the thought of quitting just isn't an option. Yeah. really, it's just not even a consideration now. That's the winner's mindset, in my opinion. Uh, I think there's someone who could be listening to this right now. Who, you know, you're whatever you're going through. There's so many pursuits that you could be possibly thinking about or going through, and this is this is the the final thought that you need for this podcast. Just don't give up. Don't give in. Right. Yeah. There's so many reasons why you shouldn't give up, even though your mind or your parents or your friends or co whoever might be telling you to give up. And that's for anybody, for literally anybody. Don't give up. Matt, yeah, it was a pleasure having sure. you on, man. Uh, this might be the easiest kind of last question because it shouldn't be too hard to find Matt Halfhill, people. You know, where, <laughs> <laughs> where can people maybe connect with you a little bit more? And if you don't know about Nice Kicks, just look up nice kicks. I mean, as simple as that. Right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I mean, at Matt Halfhill on Instagram, I think I still have a Twitter account, although I haven't been on in forever. Um, but yeah, at Matt Halfhill on Instagram for me personally, at nice kicks on everything, mm -hmm. uh, go install the app. Uh, that's in the app store mm -hmm. or Google play store. Um, sign up for text notifications. If you get that pop up, that's, that's a way you can stay in the loop. Cool. All right, man. Thank you again so much. Oh, I appreciate it. What a fantastic guest Matt Halfhill was. And if you received any value from this episode today, make sure if you're listening on Apple Podcasts to give us a five-star review. 
I'm going to talk for a moment about what I kind of got out of the episode. First and foremost, I have to thank Matt once again, and let's get into the analysis. So one thing that really caught my attention was Matt's charisma and confidence. You guys don't get a chance to see him unless you watch the video version of the podcast, but he's a very, very confident dude, and I think it's also helped him build nice kicks over the years. He's very sure of himself, and I know for a lot of our young listeners, if you're younger, and even if you're a little bit older, finding that confidence, finding that belief in yourself is super, super important when it comes to building a business, and I think that's helped Matt build over the last 15 years. I also think the last point Matt brought up about being able to stick with it even though you feel like giving up is literally one of the biggest mentality pieces when it comes to starting any creative fashion, art, culture, business that you can start. Being able to overcome and push past that limiting mindset that maybe this isn't for me or maybe if you have a setback and overcoming that setback is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And I think it's something that I'll try to carry with me for my podcast, for my business and for all the other ventures that I'm currently working through. I'm so thankful to be able to chronicle the story of Matt Halfhill on the Beyond the Garment podcast especially as the season opener to season two of the podcast. I want to say thank you for staying to this point in the episode. It was extremely fun to have Matt on. All right, let's get to the outro. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this week's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a five-star review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a comment on our most recent Instagram posts telling us what you got out of this episode. All right, wherever you are in the world, have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you next time.